Hi, I'm Patricia Marshall Harris, and welcome to Dishing with Patricia. As a food, nutrition, and healthy lifestyle consultant, I believe food is our medicine. As the host of Dishing with Patricia, I also believe in connecting with notable guests who would dish about themselves, local events, community topics, and of course, food. Welcome back to Dishing with Patricia. And my guest today is former city council person at large, Helen Kim. Helen, welcome to Dishing with Patricia. I am excited to be here, Patricia. It's an honor. Thank you. I'm excited too. I had an opportunity to interview you and um, Jerry DiPiano and Bernice Depa from um, Ghana. Yes. Um, it was an event that our foundation did and you were gracious enough to come on and allow me to interview you along with those other women. So just for transparency's sake, this is not my first time meeting Helen and I'm just happy that you decided to gracious with your presence today. So Helen, Thank you. tell us about who you are. I am a longtime Philadelphian. I came here as a teenager, um, a daughter of immigrants in search of a home and family. And I found in Philadelphia the kind of fighting spirit that I wanted in my own children. I'm a former public school teacher. I raised three children. I became a community organizer, um, helped organize in many different communities that wanted to take a look at gentrification, affordability, um, building a city that was deserving of children and families especially. And I've mostly spent most of my life trying to help children and families become stronger, particularly when they're facing so much difficulty and challenges in their life. So longtime community organizer, um, and then in 2015 ran for city council to get this city's head on its <laughs> shoulders and focused in the right direction, um, primarily looking at how young people live and how a city needs to grow. I see those two things as being inextricable from one another. Did you always know you wanted to go into politics? Absolutely not. I was sure that I didn't want to really actually go into politics. The thing though is, is that our lives are political, no matter what. If you're a woman, your life is political. Right. If you're an immigrant, your life is political. If you're a person of color, your life is inherently political. And I think what I learned was that um, helping people find strength within themselves um, and then working for the things that make them the most whole, a good school, a neighborhood to be safe in, an affordable roof over your head, and an economic opportunity for ordinary people. Right. That ends up becoming a political mission here in this city where so many people are denied. And we built a big political movement that fought a state takeover of public schools, that worked hard to make sure that this city was responsive to affordable communities, okay. and we can grow old here so, um, and attract so new people So this to come is in. basically, you, you feel it's your calling. I think it ended up becoming this thing that we ended up driving towards. I was pretty sure that there wasn't any office in the world that holds the kind of change I want to seek. Okay. So I'm not wedded to like a political office. I need to see dramatic change. Okay. So with that being said, um, you're gonna run for mayor. I am running for mayor. Why do you think you should be running for mayor and why do you feel as if you are a good candidate for that position? So I think right now, Philadelphia needs a fighter, a proven fighter, uh, to protect this city that we call home. Right. I think it needs somebody who is going to take a very complicated environment where the devastations of COVID, of an economic crisis, of a gun violence crisis, um, addiction crisis have like really eviscerated Philadelphia. And in the future, what's the kind of city that we want to build? 
And um, I am absolutely 100% clear that I am dedicated to addressing the gun violence and safety here on the ground right now. Okay. But I do not believe that we can run a city based on the worst thing that is happening to us. We need to build for the future, and that means real economic opportunity. That means homes that are, uh, you know, available. And for me personally, I am deeply invested in local municipal politics. I actually think that there is an enormous amount of power there to imagine creative new policies, new economic opportunities that can't be seen at the federal or the state, state level, level right now. And so, you know, I am not really even running for 2023. I'm running for 2033 and a vision of where the city needs to go. So housing is an issue. Yes. In Philadelphia for black and brown people. Absolutely. So what is your plan to help fix that? Yeah. So, you know, one of the first things that I did when I came onto city council was um, to take a look at how people live. Um, and one of the things that's very clear in a city where 50% of individuals are renters is that we had a massive eviction crisis. Um, almost, you know, uh, we, have, we are the fourth highest evicting city in the country. We did 22,000 households, 75% involve a black tenant, 70% involve a woman, 50% involve a caregiver. And what I knew was that none of this is by accident. Correct. Everything in the system was driving towards an eviction. Correct. With no off ramps to it. So over a very short period of time, relatively short, I would say, you know, we built the most successful eviction prevention program in the country. We created a tenant legal defense fund. We granted attorneys. We did a ton of research. We partnered up with um, you know our our on the ground advocates, and then we built in COVID what was called an eviction diversion program. Right. So we offered rent assistance, and we offered uh, trained mediation with housing counselors. So this was very important too to have housing counselors. And we slashed evictions by two thirds. Okay, that's very good, but why is there such a high eviction rate? I think everything was geared towards it. You know, this is a city that accepts poverty. And in fact, we see an exploitation of it. It's not just that we're the poorest city in the country. We exploit poverty. Ex we reinforce it yep. through procedures and practices yep. that are neglectful at the city level. We saw it continuously in our municipal courts where we rubber stamp evictions that go through. We don't provide people with off ramps. We can solve evictions with several hundred dollars uh, you know, to help pay for rent versus $40,000 to evict a family and put them in a shelter. We have burdened ourselves with poverty rather than finding real solutions to it. And it turns out that when we put a certain amount of money towards uh, rent assistance, when we provide trained housing counselors, who by the way, help not only with eviction prevention, but with mortgage and loan foreclosures, okay. who can advise on housing issues, on um, sales and that kind of thing, uh, you know, deed theft and other kinds of tangled titles and other problems that we have traditionally had. We're investing in people's capacity and that's how we slashed evictions by two thirds. And just to be clear, when we solve those problems, we fix things not just for ourselves, we fix it for the nation. 180 cities across 36 states now copy what we do here okay. in the city of Philadelphia. Um, and Joe Biden's administration, the White House, just right. introduced the National Renter Bill of Rights, and eviction diversion is a corner piece of that. If we solve big problems here in Philadelphia, we will be a model for the nation, and that's what we need to lean into. So we know that poverty is a big issue with Philadelphia. So how would you address the job issue? 
we are, as I said, one of the highest poverty cities, Correct. the poorest large city in the country. Um, there are three things for me that especially are important for Philadelphians. One, I think we absolutely have to get hold of our education system and provide opportunities for young people as they exit out. We're not just talking about now, we're talking about a generation and creating a generation of young people who will help rebuild, restore, and re-energize Philadelphia. But two, I think, you know, I'm very clear that I feel like, just as I felt like the eviction system was really rigged in favor of evictions, right. I feel like our economic system is rigged against black and brown and immigrant people from getting real economic opportunity. That's why I've leaned so heavily into seeing our city government really work on behalf of individuals, making sure that we are using, for example, um, pr black contractors as being prime contractors on investments that were not just flooding into the subprime market, um, that were helping uplift businesses all across the city. We have an MWBE directory for a reason. Our city has to use it. We should be using it consistently and showing that and showcasing um, that if you're a black owned business in Philadelphia, you are getting city opportunities, city contracts, and we are holding ourselves accountable to that. Mm -hmm. And then I think, you know, um, the other area is, is that I believe very strongly in, um, in this new economy. Um, I've always felt very strongly about uh, independent entrepreneurship, yes. small businesses, local businesses. We pursued a strategy in corporate America um, and corporate America has largely not changed. Whether you talk about representation of women, people of color, LGBT folks. Right. We can chase that train as much as we want. But to me, the real pathway for seeing Philadelphia arise with like a new renaissance, yes. a new black renaissance, a people of color renaissance, is to invest in entrepreneurship, small local businesses, homegrown. I agree. <laughs> like M3, like yourself, um, that are proudly and deeply Philadelphia based, yes. but supported by the city. And that's what I am missing here from the city of Philadelphia. Opportunity funds, real investments in contracting, accountability for the city from the ground Correct. up. And a commerce department and others that really lead and push big banks, lenders and others to leverage in on a real mission for economic opportunity. Okay, so I got a job. I can now pay my mortgage, I can pay my rent, and I want to stay in my community. Yes. But my community is changing. Yes. And I have no voice. My taxes are going up. Everyone else is getting a rebate. How, do, how can we stop that? Yeah. So, you know, first of all, changes change. Of and course. cities are of, going to continue to evolve course, and grow. Of course. And I do believe, like, Philadelphia should grow. Like, yes. we actually do want more residents to stay here. And we want to attract more residents in because we need the kinds of services that big American cities deserve. No, no, sure. I agree with you. But, but I agree that, um, one, I, I was the first person to really do the change in the 10-year tax abatement. Okay. That was very important. That was one of the things that I wanted to see from get-go. We are living in the past. <laughs> yes. We're living from 20 plus, <laughs> some of us are 30 or 40, 50 years behind, okay? And our tax structure reflects that. Our 
we are not accounting for the things that we want to do and build for the future, the needs that we've got That's right correct. now. If the 10-year tax abatement had been left unchecked, it would have reinforced everything that you had just articulated, that we're seeing you know, unnatural developments happen in historic and long-time um, you know, with, with long-time residents that, that were actually pushing people out yes. and not keeping them here. Um, we would see like spiked property tax values that were out of whack with even the market. So that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about having a tax structure that makes sense for the future, called for a new tax commission. We haven't had one in 22 years. That's crazy. You know, it is crazy, actually. And as I said, we are taxing like we lived in 1995 or 1999. And this is the city of 2023. And really, we're looking for 2033 and beyond. Right. We're trying to do something different. So we need a complete uh, new set of eyes we need to incentivize affordable housing right Correct. now. Correct. We must incentivize preservation right now. We need to make sure that we are protecting individuals from displacement, and we need to ensure home ownership, but particularly around affordable housing. We have major universities in our cities. They're expanding in every neighborhood, but they're leaving the local people behind as they continue to expand. We know what West Philadelphia looks like. Mm -hmm. Now North Philadelphia is starting to look like that. Everywhere you see there's building this, but they're leaving the local residents behind. Development is important yes. and rebuilding is important, but it's also important to save our communities. How, what, how do you feel about these things that are just threatening the core of our communities, which also threatens some of the culture that comes with some of those communities. How do we um, raise our voices, quote unquote, for the underserved? Yes, absolutely. Well, first of all, I, I don't believe it's just about the underserved. I believe it's about the future of Philadelphia. And I, for one, do not evaluate development based on just skylines and you know huge towers that can kiss the sky when you have so many people struggling at the community level. Philadelphia is often known as an eds and meds town, but if that's the case, we should not have the biggest educational and health disparities within our own borders. Correct. And I believe those educational and health institutions need to become real leaders in helping see that through, especially because these educational and health institutions, as you know, don't pay property taxes. And so when a larger and larger swath of our city is removed from the tax base, then those institutions need to lean in even more heavily to make sure that the health and well-being of our city is growing as their own uh, work continues to grow. This is a, you know, this is a symbiotic relationship. Correct. It is not one where one is predatory or exploitive. And I think that right now we need a stronger mission on education and health and well-being of our residents more than ever, and these institutions can, can and must be brought to the table. So how do you do that? Well, one, I think we set what the priorities are. When the number one killer of young people are guns. Correct. 
then I need every single healthcare institution leaning in and treating gun violence in this city like it is a public health emergency and crisis that it is. And that means that we have to, I've been very clear, on day one I will enact a state of emergency, hold all of our institutions, including non-city institutions, to the table to hold them accountable on several things. One, we definitely need to take illegal guns off the street, no question. But two, we need to know that we have to provide interventions for those who are in the path of violence. We know that any victim of violence is so much likely to become somebody who then picks up a gun. Yes. Um, and we see it over and over and over again, particularly right. with our young people. So we don't necessarily have all the solutions to all that if we go only through prosecution. 50% of victims never report a crime. An overwhelming number of crimes that do get reported yes. never even end in an arrest. So I've got a whole swath of individuals who, if we don't leverage in on supporting them, not based on prosecution, but based on the fact that they are suffering right now, we will never get over our gun violence crisis. So I need housing, medical care, mental health supports, right. family therapy, yes. and employment to lean in right now to save our young people, to save our city, and to restore back well, you know, that health. Data supports that um, when you live in poverty, that crime is definitely going to be on the rise. We have crime in our neighborhoods, but the folks that show up at the door doesn't look like the person that lives at that house. Exactly. So how are we gonna change the policing of our environment? Yeah, well, that is an absolute must. And I think that's one of the things that we're hearing about right now. Um, you know, the policing conversation is one where people want to see more officers out onto the streets. And I, you know, am fine with like figuring out how to deploy. But I'm also very clear that the policing budget is the highest it's ever been in history. It is $800 million, almost $800 million, one out of every $6. <laughs> and it has increased by 25% since I've been in city so council. So now that they have all this money, and what are you doing with exactly. it? Show me the money. What and, are you doing with it? And I think it? one of the most important things that we need to do right now is to have a, a mayor who works with the police department. Because I've, I've heard people say, let the police do their jobs. Well, hold on a second. <laughs> Let's be really clear here. Um, we, we, the mayor needs to partner with the police department to show them we, this is what we want. We need homicides and shooting solved. Correct. Because every person who is harmed in the city is a life that matters. Yes. We need to completely overhaul how we deal with victims because so many victims are so poorly treated from the moment they come in, they don't get the appropriate communications, they are not appropriately like cared for, especially because they're only seen in terms of the courtroom and not in terms of people who are actually suffering right. and in need of family services, mental health supports, other types of things. That's where the mayor leans in with all the other city agencies other than police. And we need to restore a sense of police officers being on the ground without threatening yes. communities yes. and realizing that yes. the primary role here is on community relations and on trust. People need to know that if they see the uniform or the officer, and to be clear, I think they need to be on to foot do, and out defuse, of their cars. To defuse We're trying it to instead, defuse. Of, instead of escalating. I helped start the first non-police mental health mobile crisis response unit in the city of Philadelphia. This was something that I had seen nationally. I had known that it had worked. Um, it allows trained individuals to respond to certain situations 
when a police officer is not requested Correct. or necessarily needed. They're doing that in Colorado and yes. they're getting really, really good results. But before we come to a close, um, part of Dishing with Patricia yes. is food I believe food is medicine. Yes. So we're gonna have a cooking segment of this and I'm, I know you're gonna join me. But before then, if someone just tuned in on this particular episode and I said, Helen Kim is running for mayor, tell me, what would you say that could just bring them in on your side to decide to vote for you? Yes, so I'm running for mayor because I'm trying to build a city where we treat it like it's home and everybody is family and we don't leave people behind. I'm a proven fighter who has done a tremendous amount to restore back um, public schools, fought a school takeover, to put back nurses, counselors, to build the schools that our children and families deserve. I believe that this city can only grow when its people actually rise. Um, and I am leading a big effort to make sure that it is people first who are leading this vision for how the city can transform and change. It's young people. Um, it's a new parent who wants to, who doesn't have to wait by the door. It's a, you know, it's a, one of our longtime residents who doesn't have to fear about being displaced, but knows that this city is a place to call home. It's the hungry entrepreneur who wants to build the new economy for our city. I want them to know that this is a place to come and that we will welcome uh, people with open arms. But most important, I'm treating Philadelphia like it's home, like we're all family. Okay. And we're gonna make sure that we bring everybody with us into the future. Okay, Helen, thank you so much for coming on. Um, give us a few moments and we'll be back. Welcome back to Dishing with Patricia. And as my guest, it's Helen Gim. Helen is running for mayor of Philadelphia. Helen, welcome back. I'm so glad that you agreed to stay to the cooking part of Dishing with Patricia. So Helen was so excited. <laughs> I told her what I was making and she says, okay. And Helen showed up with all the stuff that was needed to make this dish. So Helen, tell us the history about this dish that we're gonna to make today. So first of all, this is my fantasy, Patricia. It's always been my fantasy to pretend that I can cook and be on a cooking show. Um, we are going to be doing a traditional Korean dish called chapcha. Um, this is just around the, the new Lunar New Year. Yep. And so the new yep. year is a traditional time when um, you know, when uh, Korean families and people from all over the world come together uh, and have uh, dishes and noodles typically symbolize long life. That's right. So uh, we're doing a all vegetarian, gluten-free noodles. Um, and most of the ingredients sort of you can find around the house. Everywhere. I mean, Except just, for the sesame oil maybe. And yeah, but that's seeds. now most restaurants have that. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to start. Okay. We're going to start by sauteing some onions. Yes. Helen's onions are already ready, right there. I told you, I have never had a guest come that had all the stuff already ready, but that's okay. So then, she's gonna chop up some red pepper. And while we're waiting, yep, please gonna, be careful I'm with your to fingers. Do my, uh, we're gonna do the, the peppers here. Um, and basically, you know, this is a dish uh, that, well, one, you know, Patricia, growing up in an immigrant family, right. It wasn't common that you know you're you you learn how to cook things. So what do you mean um, it wasn't common? You just got in the kitchen. I mean, my mom came here when she was in her early twenties, 
So she didn't. So where came here? She, she came to the U.S. Uh, from? from Korea. Okay. In in her early twenties, basically. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, she came here to study food and nutrition at the University of Washington. And then my dad heard that a new group of Korean women <laughs> had just arrived. And so he got the car, a big blue car that he had uh, worked very hard for uh, hour after hour and drove it up to impress whomever was going to be there. But my mom was the one that, that he was really interested in. So anyway, my mom came here and, you know, like our meals were a complete mishmash of random food that my mom desperately wanted to learn from, from Julia Child. So no. it was like poorly done uh, casseroles and other things. And then, of course, the real dishes, which all of us ate, which was kimchi, a right. fermented cabbage, right. you, know, um, you know, noodles, you know, uh, we call them uh, mandu, but basically like dumplings. Um, and rice, and so our table just looked like a mess of right. random foods. Do you mind um, if I just grab these? Does. Yes, okay. absolutely, okay. perfect. Thank you. You're welcome. Watch your fingers. Watch your finger. I should be watching my fingers yes. while I keep putting my hand over there. And uh, yeah, so I, um, so you know, I didn't really learn how to cook except when I started having when I had my own kids, and you know, you experiment a little bit as you know when you're living on your own right but when my kids were younger um you know they loved their harmonies cooking and so um it felt very important to do some traditions with the family and the kids and to learn how to do some traditional dishes so so this dish is it typically um eaten just during holidays or is this a staple well, I consider it laborious, so to me, it is not a staple. I will go and buy it <laughs> um, if I can't, if I can't, uh, if I crave it. But this is easy. Uh, it's a lot of work, Patricia. It's no, no, I mean, this is easy. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, but so, yes, yes, okay. yes, yes. So, so, no, now it's much more of a, a popular dish that my youngest daughter and I actually really enjoy doing together. She is an absolute expert on this. Um, and you know, like some more our our cooking, Go our ahead. cooking Come teachers were, um, you know, Mang Chi, who is like a popular YouTuber, and right? Who has kind of made it available and easily accessible for people to learn how to cook and right. My kids love a local artist named a local chef named Chris Cho, okay, um, who's been fantastic as well, right. Let me give you in there. Thank you. All right. So, it's typically it's you just got over the new year. Do you make resolutions like we do typically from the U.S.? Do you make resolutions? No, I don't think that's a thing in your culture. Not so much. We a lot of it is about honoring the ancestors. So we um, we honor ancestors. Uh, usually, we have a photo display of individuals who have passed and um, just, you know, honor them with, with memories and then, um, 
and then when we used to do it with our younger ones, right. they would uh, bring uh, food that we would make over to their grandparents, right. and then we would, uh, you know, they would do a traditional Korean greeting and then a bow, and then the parents kind of bless them with assorted gifts. Okay, now, I, I have to tell you guys that we've been having green tea lemonade with mint and cucumber. So tell me, what do you think about this? It is absolutely delicious and refreshing, and I love it. Whenever I have guests on Dishing with Patricia, I try to do my homework, figure out some of the things that they're going to like, things that are in their culture. And I cannot believe that Helen came here and she had all her stuff. I mean, that is really, really sweet for you to have done that. But you're my guest, so I'm supposed to be doing this for you. But is that part of your culture, to take food wherever you go? I think so. Like, I think it's a really wonderful part of, um, you know, in, in Korea, one of the things that is really nice is that the families are so close together. Okay. They live very close together. Right. And so people are always going from house to house. And a traditional Korean dinner has multiple small dishes and um, a couple of large soups and uh, plates. But mostly everybody kind of cooks together. And it's a really wonderful, you know, like um, communal act. And we talk about stories and memories. And then everybody sits around a large table. And, you know, it's nobody has their own individual plate. Everybody's always sharing. and. That's wonderful. Yeah. So this is basically done. Yes. I want you to put your bowl over here and collectively put your things together yes. and mix all your stuff. Oh, okay. Let me get the carrots. Let me put yep. these carrots in here and then we're going to, I'm going to share with you a little bit of these carrots here, okay? Mm -hmm. Once I get them done. This recipe, I altered the recipe. It's going to be on classyessentialnutrition.com. All of my recipes you can find on my site. Helen, food is important to me. The colors have to they be vibrant. Give your family some things, nutrition. I mean, just who wants just a plain plate? I don't <laughs> want a plain plate. I want some color. Exactly. I want some texture. I want some taste. And some, some spice, which is yes. exactly what we get out of Korean food. Yeah. This one is a little, this can mostly be like a milder dish, so mm -hmm. it's not usually that spicy. Right. But, um, but, you know, the freshness of the ingredients, having all the vegetables kind of in place means a lot. Right. And then they're just small touches, so I'm making um, just a little bit of a topping from a, mm -hmm. an egg omelet. Um, just to add a little bit more color to right. the dish and right. make sure that... I like my, my vegetables more al dente. I'm going to let Helen do the honors of mixing together her dish while I over here complete mine. This is a mixture of carrots, red peppers, mushrooms, shiitake mm -hmm. mushrooms, and a little bit of um, spinach, yes. which Helen already has some in her dish. This dish can be served cold or hot, correct? Yes. Or room temperature? Yeah, room temperature okay. mostly. So do you mind if I just yes. push that and put that, that in there? That would be wonderful. Okay, so tell people what you have mixed inside of your dish already. Yes, so we've got uh, traditional Korean buckwheat noodles. They're gluten-free. Um, seasoned with a little bit of uh, sesame oil, soy sauce, and sugar. 
Um, and then, you know, the, the dish can be as complicated or as easy as you want it to be. You know, I tend to think of japchae as really being about a lot of love. And so the more uh, things that we put into it, um, the, more, the more love that kind of goes into it because it's a lot of work, as I said before. Um, and then, uh, and it's usually like a great accompaniment with rice or with, you know, uh, whatever accompaniment that people may want, but it's a really good dish if you're vegetarian. Okay. And, and vegan, so I'm gonna add in our, so what we'll traditionally do is when you're done, right. if you're serving, you kind of do this, and then we have a little bit of roasted seaweed that we can add on top, and. And what is the name of your roasted seaweed? Um, and where would they purchase yeah, that? Yeah, we call it Kim. But you know it can be nori. Yes. Okay. Um, and then we'll do some black sesame seeds uh, mm -hmm. to add to it. And then I might throw in a little bit of your sesame oil and soy sauce. Yes. Okay. Just a little bit more to add in. Yes. 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 Because um, it looks like it could use just a little yeah. bit more. Mm -hmm. Not too much. Um, and you can. I think you said this. Like nowadays, you know most. A lot of the grocery stores will sell um, sesame oil in in the ethnic foods aisles, right? Um, and uh, or an Asian market, or you can go to <laughs> any one of the Asian markets that are in the city that yeah. are vast and growing, and um, and all of that. So uh, one of my things is mm -hmm. I think you should shop local. Yes. So if you're going to make an Asian dish, go to an Asian market. Yesterday when I was going to make um, some stuff, I went to an Asian market and I said a guy was in the aisle and he could clearly see I didn't know what I was looking I knew what I was looking for, but I didn't know how to find it. I said, do you speak English? He said, yes. So I said, thank you. <laughs> so he pointed out some things that I needed and that's part of my surprise that I have for Helen is I made a dish for her, seeing that she is my guest. Helen, that looks absolutely fabulous. When you finish, I want you to show my um, audience how good it looks. Unfortunately, I can't taste Helen's dish because she put egg in it. Oh. But that's okay because I have my, our crew is here and they're going to taste this, but that looks really, really good. Yes. Look at the green. Do you mind if I pass yeah, this over? Yes, I'm going to so add in some of the look at toppings. This. Just one more. Look at that. That is absolutely gorgeous. Oh, I'm sorry. Tim wants me to do this. A good photo right there. So I'm always a ham. I like to <laughs> kind of show off what I'm doing. Helen, that really, really looks good. Add that looks in. good. That looks good. Yep. And we'll sprinkle that on. And let's see, do we have everything else? I think so. I think, oh, why we have our green onions. Yes, and why don't you do a taste? Because unfortunately, I can, because you put the egg on that. Yeah, so, I'm so, folks, sorry. please don't say, why didn't you taste it? She made My that apologies. and you didn't taste it. It looks fabulous. And I brought uh, some lettuce. Big lettuce, yeah. So you, you can, oh, really? You can okay, wrap go it ahead. Up. Let's see that. Yep. So if you want, you can wrap wow. it. Wow. Let me give you a little plate. That is wonderful. I'm sorry, Patricia. I shouldn't have put in the egg. I should no, have asked you about that's it okay. first. That's okay. So you can wrap it like this. Now that I hadn't seen. And, and you're going to put some kimchi? 
If you want to add a little bit of kimchi on the side, this is a little bit more maybe sour than some people prefer. Did you make this? No, I do not make my kimchi, although I'm, I'm debating whether I will. Maybe after this election, I'll have to heal by like. Right. By so is it always so kimchi. spicy? Um, you can make it as, there are so many different types of kimchi. Kimchi is like a, it's essentially, it's a pickled vegetable. So we can pickle very mild vegetables or you can make it extremely spicy right. and really fermented and kind of sour. So okay. I prefer like a hard daikon radish kimchi. Right. Um, this is a traditional cabbage kimchi, but there are very mild, almost no spice, like cucumber and... Uh, other kinds of clear kimchi that so are I, very popular. So I just want to have you move that over okay. there because I'm going to bring out my surprise that I have for you. And um, Helen has a very busy schedule, so I want to bring out the surprise so she could see what I did for her. And then we'll come back after Helen is gone, and then I'll finish off my dish um, for my crew and for my audience. But I, first, I want to thank you, Helen, for agreeing to come on. And please, now, if someone wants to contribute to your campaign, yes. tell them what they need to do. Yes, so you can go to HelenGim.com. Um, that has our website. Uh, and backslash donate is where you can choose to donate if you're interested in the campaign. Please follow us on social media at, at HelenGimPHL. Um, and, you know, and my hope is, is that uh, for the next three and a half months, you're going to see a real push for the city that we want. And I think that elections can change uh, and politics can change the tone of how people want to see things. And if we can't envision what we want to see, we can't get there. So um, I think that that's what this race is really going to be about. I, I forgot to ask, what about nutrition in our schools? Um, we need to see our young people have access to healthy foods. One of the things that I fought for was to bring clean water into all of our public schools. Imagine that in 2023 being a mission, but that is a mission for us. Um, we've been very clear that if we do new schools, we can build kitchens. People don't remember uh, what it was like to have your school lunches <laughs> cooked on site, um, but that's still a possibility. And we really need that because the young people really need food and nutrition. Yes, yes. Right now we're doing like packaged frozen no, things off of a truck that's and not they're good. not they're not culturally responsive. They're often not meeting a lot of dietary and allergic needs that, that young people have right now. Right. So I'm a big fan of kitchens and schools, um, of supporting, you know, a real school modernization that we need to do. I'm on a path to modernize every single public school oh, in the good. city of Philadelphia so it can bring the kind of learning environment that our young people need. That also brings about job opportunities. Absolutely. Okay, so I'm gonna get this special dessert out that I have for Helen, and um, just hold on a second. I'm so amazed that you made this, Patricia. It's incredible. This is a very. This is my favorite dish, by the way. No. It is absolutely Tell my favorite dish. Tell the folks what it's called and the history behind it and why it's so special. Um, so this is this dish. It's called yakshik. It is a sticky rice uh, dessert of sorts. So Korean food is not very sweet. Like it's very unusual for Korean food to be very sweet. It's just very low sugar, all of that. But what we love is starchy foods. And we love starchy foods with a lot of nuts and um, flavors and so yakshik is a very sticky rice 
that has a whole bunch of dried fruits, raisins. It can have nuts in it um, if appropriate. But it is my absolute favorite dish, and I can't thank you enough. I Patricia. didn't know that. So now I can tell you that when I was in the at the Asian market, I was looking for the dates. Yes. And the young lady said, such and such, such, aisle four. So when I came back up to the register, she said, did you understand? I said, yes. She said, aisle four is towards the front. She said, you understood that? I said, yes, I understood what you meant. I was more just by her expression on her face. And then the glutinous rice. Mm -hmm. The only thing is if you are a diabetic, you need to be careful of this um, dish because it will spike your um, glycemic numbers. But come on and tell me what I you think. I love it. And it has chestnuts and yes. all the delicious this things. This recipe will be on my website because I altered it just a little bit. It's so good. And it's my favorite because, like I said, it's all love in this I had, dish. I had no idea. I just wanted to surprise you. Thank you for coming on to Dishing with Patricia and giving us an opportunity to hear what you had to say. And um, hopefully it will make a difference in your campaign that you move forward. And uh, we wish you well. Thank you so much, Patricia. And thank you, everybody. And, um, you know, it's an honor, really. It's been a privilege. And... Um, we look forward to what comes next. For those of you that are just tuning in, running for mayor of the city of Philadelphia is Helen Gim. Helen was here living a dream of being on a cooking show. So the second segment of Dishing with Patricia involves a cooking segment. Helen came on and she displayed her where She came in with all of her prep. She brought her food with her. Can you believe that? I was so happy to accommodate her. So now I'm going to show you my vegan version of chapche. So let's get started. I've already sauteed all my vegetables as you guys saw earlier. So now I'm going to mix mine with these Korean glass noodles. Look at the color. Look at the carrots, the spinach. This is going to be delish. I wish all of you were here to taste it. But you could, um, this is roasted tofu. Let me grab this. So I'm just gonna mix this up. Mix this some. Um, this, I, I need to get a stronger, um, just one second. We're gonna grab these two and put this here. Just mix this all together. So, Helen was telling me all about this dish is a um, special dish. I'm like, this is easy to make. Tell me about, is there a Korean soul food? She said, this would be considered Korean soul food. So I was glad to hear about that. So uh, I'm going to add now toasted sesame oil. This is a soy sauce. And this is brown rice syrup. Just give it a little sweetness. I also included um, some spicy pepper when I was cooking the vegetables. I love just a little bit of heat with your spiciness. This is going to be so good. These are the kind of dishes that you could teach your children to learn how to cook with you in the kitchen. 
It's this very simple, teach them how to measure, that helps them in their math. So I'm going to plate this. This is dry soy, um, seaweed, nori. Some black sesame. And here are some scallions. Look at that. As I said a few minutes ago, all of these recipes can be found on classyandessentialnutrition.com. This is my green tea lemonade with mint and cucumber. Until next time, bye.